and there was this huge red welt. And my mom looks at the doctor and she's like, what's that huge one? And the doctor was like, oh, that's horse. Hey, you guys, today's guest is Anne, and we got into nutrition big time. So this is actually an area that I'm intensely passionate about. See my Instagram posts if you're interested. Um, but I'm really passionate about the politics surrounding food choices. But I didn't understand a ton about the actual processes inside the body that deal with digestion. And fill me in. We also chatted about mom shaming, prepping your body for pregnancy, getting your kids to eat, and a lot about why butter is the best. We also touch on how diet is deeply individual and personal. So let's jump on into it so she can tell you more about it. Hey, this is Sophia Solzner, owner of the Western Tap Specialist and founder of The Punchy Posse. As a former guest of the Range Collective podcast, I can genuinely say I hope you are loving this episode and become a regular listener if you're not already. Harley graciously provided me this opportunity to talk to you real quick, so I wanted to tell you who I am and what I do to see if I can help you. I work exclusively with Western and rural women who own a business, whether online or in their hometown. I spent four years developing social media strategies through hands-on experience with clients all across the country. I took these proven strategies and seeing a need in the Western industry decided to serve my babes, my Western and rural women, and support them on their journey to being a successful business owner. At the Western Trap Specialist, I offer one-on-one coaching and strategy sessions, Shopify website design, social media management, and a slew of trainings. My most popular program right now is called The Punchy Paycheck. The Punchy Paycheck is a monthly membership that includes a live training each month on a topic chosen to help you grow and maintain your business, a live Q&A session, and a private group chat exclusive to Punchy Paycheck members. All this is valued at over $300, but to allow as many Haas babes as possible to participate, it is only $29 a month. This program is a perfect first step to growing your business, or an amazing accountability tool to keep you pushing yourself past the level you've already reached. If you'd like to sign up, you can head to thewesternchopspecialist.com. You can also find out so much more about me and my business on my website and a direct link to join the Punchy Posse, which is a group exclusively for Western and rural women business owners. I would also love to connect with you on any of my socials. You can find me on Instagram at Sophia Solzner or at the Punchy Posse, and also on Facebook, just the Western Chop Specialist. I look forward to chatting with you, and I really hope you enjoy the rest of this episode with Harley and her guests. I am Anne Honeman. I am a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. And just a little bit of background about me. I grew up with a very Western lifestyle. My mom rodeoed. I rodeoed. My brother did. So we were always, you know, at rodeos. We showed steers. We were always in the Western lifestyle. I grew up in Wyoming. Being in Wyoming, you're really surrounded by a Western hometown, small town lifestyle. But growing up, I was severely allergic to horses. And so rodeoing constantly and being allergic to horses just brought on a lot of health issues very early on for me. I was a very sick baby. I I struggled with allergies forever. And I, you know, my mom, immediately took the traditional route of, you know, traditional medicine, traditional doctors, which honestly, in the long run, probably saved my life. But long term, it just wasn't an option for me. By the time I was in college, I was one college rodeo. And I was in and out of the emergency room constantly due to my horse allergy and trying to rodeo at the same time. And my body was really just beat down and broken down from all the steroids, all the pharmaceutical drugs, college lifestyle, poor diet, probably a little bit too much beer. 
and not enough sleep. So my body was just really at rock bottom. And I knew coming out of college, I needed to take break from rodeoing and I needed to heal my body. I came home from college one spring and my mom looked at me and she was like, you are so sick. Like she could just tell that I wasn't doing well. And so she took me to a functional doctor and I literally stomped my feet in the door. Like this is crazy. He's a quack. I'm not doing this. I've been to so many doctors at this point that I was like, I just had no faith in the medical field because no one had helped me. Everyone had just band-aided my problems and told me I was crazy and that I was killing myself by rodeoing. And, and I knew that there was more options. And so I stomped my feet in the door and I spent the next 16 weeks, every Friday for 16 weeks in his office. I got nutrient IVs. I got all kinds of therapy in his office. And it literally changed my life. I literally got a second lease on life at 20 years old. So that kind of started my whole journey into nutrition and really connecting my Western lifestyle with nutrition and how much it affected my life and taking control for the first time in 20 years of my health and my life and learning and understanding what my boundaries were and how food changed those boundaries. If I ate the standard American diet, I couldn't rodeo. But if I cleaned up my diet and supported my body and supported my function, then I had a lot better chance at being able to ride and rodeo. And so that's kind of how I got into nutrition. Um, I graduated college with a bachelor's in animal science, fully expecting to go into the field of animal nutrition. But I just I couldn't have a career around animals and horses, as well as, you know, do it as a hobby. I with my allergy, that was just too much. And so after having two kids, I went back to school to be a nutritional therapy practitioner. And since then, I've really just taken a deep dive into nutrition. And, and that's, I started my nutrition business, Plain to Peak Wellness, and that is where I'm at now. But okay, so you said you grew up in Wyoming, right? Yes, I grew up just north of Jackson Hole. My Wyoming geography is really bad. Where is Jackson Hole? That is western Wyoming. So when you see like Yellowstone and the pictures of the big mountains with the barn in front of them, that's where I grew up. It's like, because I know they did. I know they did a lot of their shooting um, for the TV series in a lot of Wyoming. So I was like, I was right on the Wyoming Idaho border, almost very, very western Yellowstone Mountains, the most beautiful country in the world. <laughs> I would agree. I grew up in northeastern California, and my fiance is from Great Falls. He's from Montana. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that's the worst part about living in Texas, man, is there is no mountains. Oh, tell me about it. Living in the panhandle of Oklahoma after growing up in Wyoming is like culture shock. Yeah, so you can relate. <laughs> yes, I can relate. It is flat as a pancake here. I do not know what people do with themselves without mountains and water. <laughs> I don't either. I'm glad to be living. I live in Austin now, so there's lots of water here. And there's some hills. Mm-hmm. Went back in February to visit my family, and I was like, oh, I miss the mountains so much. Oh, gosh. I never realized how fortunate I was. To grow up with mountains until I left them. That's how I feel too. Or like growing up in like the playground, the backyard of Lake Tahoe. That's the area. That's the area I'm from is right in there. And I was like, I was just like, meh, I mean, it's pretty, but whatever. And then I moved away and I was like, oh. Oh yeah. You want it back 
immediately. It's like where we live now is flat as a pancake and dry and dusty and it's just farmland and very different. It's it's hard to get used to. We have lots of trees and stuff, so that really helped with my move. Um but That's it right. wasn't yeah, it was an adjustment though, for sure. It is, yes. It is crazy how different it could be from one part of the country to the next. <laughs> yes. So you said you rodeoed you said your mom rodeoed, right? Yep. What um what's your event? I ran barrels and poles and tied goats. And I dabbled a little bit in team roping, but I can't ever say that I was a great team roper. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, what made you decide that you wanted to do rodeo? Was it just like starting when you were a little kid? Because that was what your mom did. So you were with her on weekends and that's what you did or? Yeah, it was a family thing. My mom ran barrels and I always wanted rodeo. I always wanted to run barrels and poles. And it was just what we did as a family. I mean, it was either come rodeo or there wasn't a lot of other options. (laughs) And I just fell in love with it early. And that's where I wanted to be. That's what I wanted to do. And I, I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie and I loved, I love that adrenaline of, you know, going in the gate to run barrels or poles or just being on something that you felt just a little bit out of control. So I'm like the exact opposite. I need everything to be very in control. I don't <laughs> particularly care for ride, even like riding horses because that's, I have no control over that. And I'll like, I'm a decent rider. Like I'm, I don't compete or anything, but like I can keep my ass in the saddle. I just, yeah. I'm like disinterested. I'm like, I'll get on a dirt bike. I'll get on a motorcycle. I'll get on a quad. Like, but I'm like, I have control over that. It's not oh a my living. God. That's how my husband is. <laughs> my husband never rode horses until he met me, but he has a banshee and a sand car. And my son has a dirt bike, all motorheads. He says he likes that because it has an off switch. <laughs> yeah. Horses don't. Although I will say my, and my fiance, he likes, if it goes fast, he's about it. The other weekend I was texting, he was gone for work and I was like, Oh, what are you doing? He had like good work that day. He goes, Oh, I'm going skydiving. Like I'm about to jump out of the plane. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're doing what now? <laughs> oh man. My husband would love that. He, he's all about the adrenaline motor. He's motorhead. I just like to be in control of everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to be in control of like my business and my kids and stuff that way. But as far as adrenaline goes, I'm like, I'm an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> Do any other kids rodeo? No, I actually, uh, I sold my college rodeo horse last year uh, just to really take completely a year or two off from horses to try to really heal my allergy and asthma. And, uh, once I became a mom, it became apparent very quickly that I wasn't going to be able to have severe bouts of asthma and still be able to take care of my children and so I felt like it wasn't really fair to them and it's always an option to go back to it my daughter wants to be a rodeo queen when she grows up (laughs) I mean I think it'll always be a part of our life I needed to take some time to be a mom and and be a healthy mom I can always go back yeah so that makes me wonder how what at what point did you guys realize that you were allergic to horses that's a big thing to be allergic to (laughs) It was huge. I was young. I was like probably eight, eight or nine. And I started realizing that when we were at rodeos, I would just get short of breath. Like I couldn't breathe and my belly would hurt. And for the longest time, I would tell people like my stomach hurts. I don't feel good. I'm tired. I can't breathe. And everyone would be like, oh my gosh, you're, you know, you're crazy. You're at, you're out of your mind. And then it got to a point where, you know, my mom could really tell that I couldn't breathe. And and I wasn't getting my air back. And 
So she took me to an allergy specialist and I will never forget. They did a little poke test where they like poke your back and put allergens on it. And my mom was just dead set that I was not allergic to horses. Like it couldn't be that. And they put, I don't know, probably 50 or 60 things on my back. And there was this huge red welt. And my mom looked at the doctor and she's like, what's that huge one? And the doctor was like, oh, that's horse. And I'm pretty sure her heart just shattered in that moment that both of us were like, what? And, and his immediate answer was, you had to sell your horses and do something else. And that just wasn't an option. It, that was a part of our life and we were going to make it work. And both my mother and I are very determined. And so for the next literally 10 to 12 years, we were determined to beat the allergy, to make it work. And it's something that I'm glad I went through because it's got me to where I am. But it's also something that you get very tired of fighting. You fight and you fight and fight every day. Before I, you know, at my lowest health point, before I really had cleaned up my diet or got into nutrition or the medical field at all, I was, you know, I was taking steroids. I had done a nebulizer 12 to 15 times a day. I would go through inhalers like within a matter of weeks. (laughs) And it just, it wasn't sustainable for my body. It was a very severe asthmatic reaction to horses. So question, because so, I mean, I have like seasonal allergies, um, but certainly nothing like like what you're describing. Um, Mm -hmm. What is like happening in your body when you're allergic to something or like if you're having an asthma attack or something like that? So basically when you have an allergy, be it, you know, environmental or food, when something comes into your body that your body sees as foreign or as something that they need to fight, your body reacts to it. So your body reacts to it by like making mucus to try to get it out of the body, to try to restabilize the cells, you know, coughing, sneezing. My body just happened to react through asthma. And so my body, you know, my lungs would tighten up, my airways would tighten up and my body, you know, you're basically like having a, your body's having an attack of we have to get this out somehow, some way. We can't handle it. And different allergies. I mean, the way you get allergies, I can't honestly explain why you're allergic to some things and why you're not. I think a lot of mine came from being, I was a very sick baby. I was sick as a child and horses were something I was continually exposed to. And so when I was sick as a baby, I would get that horse dander. I would, once you're sick, once you have leaky cells or a leaky gut, you get something like dander and your body reacts to it simply because your cells or your gut are leaky. And so that kind of would start the process of an allergy. I gotcha. That, yeah, that makes sense. I didn't have any allergies at all until I was an adult and moved. I moved to from um, Northern California and like a super mountainous, um, mm-hmm. not super moist, but like um, semi humid mountainy pine forest area to like the high desert and i'm allergic to the sagebrush there which is a super common allergy we moved down here and i'm allergic to like everything down here literally Mm -hmm. all of the plants the grasses i'm allergic to them um i get more swollen with the bug bites all of it yeah so a lot of times we have if we have a lot of inflammation in our bodies we'll react to more and more things. The more information we have, 
the higher our inflammation or our allergies go up. And so if we can decrease the inflammation in the body, then theoretically we could decrease the allergies as well. Uh, and so a lot of times if we have something stressful, like a move or a huge life change where our bodies are stressed, maybe our diet's not quite as good, our cells get a little bit leaky, and now we've moved to a new environment. So all these new things come into our body. And if we're in that kind of leaky cell, leaky gut state, then we create allergies. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. There's uh, like, it was the first day we moved. We'd spent like two full days driving. It was like a 28 hour drive, but we had a U-Haul and mm-hmm. 28 hours is, oh, is a long drive. Um, so, that is. Yeah. And then the, immediately the next day we were unpacking and I was like, my eyes were like swollen shut. I was a disaster. Yep. Yeah. New environments can be hard on the body if the body is in a state of stress. Let's talk about what, so, um, it's functional nutritional something practitioner. Yes. Functional nutritional therapy practitioner. So I'm an F and NTP. Whoever made that acronym was thinking on their toes. Um, <laughs> My husband always makes jokes that I'm an F and NTP, but. (laughs) (laughs) So as far as like your formal education to like get that title, what does that, like, what does that mean? So I went to school through the Nutritional Therapy Association and it's an, it starts as an online program. Um, When I went through it, you did a very intense online study it was about six months um, and just very in-depth through human anatomy, biology, nutrition, how nutrients work in the body, a lot about digestion and how human digestion works. And then we had three weeks of in-class, in-person education um, where we learned how to do a functional assessment, which is where you know you work hands-on on a body to test supplements and foods on a body and just more in-depth in-person education where you have your instructors there and teachers and so I graduated from a class in Dallas in November of 2018 from the Nutritional Therapy Association and that's how I got my nutritional training I also have a bachelor's in biology and animal science that I had gained before I ever went to the Nutritional Therapy Association what does like what does functional nutrition mean so functional nutrition is healing the body through foods and whole food supplementation we basically take strip the body down to its basic and instead of just traditional medicine there's absolutely a place for it and it absolutely saves lives but a lot of times they're just there's a pill for every ill you come in and say I have headaches and they just say oh take this medicine and send you on your way where with functional nutrition if you came to me and said oh I have headache then we're gonna do an assessment on your body we're gonna find out where your inflammation's at what could be causing the headache is it a nutrient deficiency is it an imbalance in the body is it hormonal and fix the root cause of the issue instead of just throwing a band-aid over it is really what we do in functional nutrition is heal from the core of the body out. I gotcha. That makes sense. It wasn't really like something I'd heard before, so I wasn't sure what really what that meant. <laughs> yeah, it's not very like well known field, but it's it's definitely gaining, you know, popularity and, and a lot of um, functional medical practitioners dive deep into functional nutrition as well. It's kind of crazy that nutrition has such an impact on the body and how your body can heal and really regulate itself. And traditional medical doctors have very little, if any, 
nutritional training. Yeah, well, I know when we were talking on the phone, I was I'd mentioned that like, okay, I feel so much better, so much healthier when I'm eating foods that are less processed. Mm -hmm. So like more, it sounds weird to say raw foods, especially when you're referring to meat, because I like my meat cooked. Um, but raw food, so like steak or chicken breasts or salads or home, if I'm going to make something like, we'll make pizza at home. But even that, if you're hand making everything from home, it's still much cleaner than processed ingredients you may get from a restaurant. Yes, for sure. It's absolutely insane to me what a difference it seems like something so simple can make it does and it's hard as you know a standard american you look at our nutritional guidelines from the government and they are so backwards and so based on politics that it's hard to know what to eat and you go into the grocery store and you have 100 calorie oreos and snack wells and it's so hard to walk into a store and really honestly know like is this good for me or is this not good for me or should i be paying attention to nutrients or calories or you see so much on tv and you get so much from the nutritional guidelines and and everyone has their own opinion on nutrition and so it's it's a really hard thing to know what direction to head in when you want to clean up your diet. Yeah. One of my friends is a holistic wellness coach, but she also has her bachelor's of science in nursing. So she's practicing nurse, but she also is really, really into like athletics and functional movement of like your body. And in particular, she focuses on postpartum women, which is a really interesting group mm -hmm. to focus on. But every day I see her stories and it's like, move towards less processed stuff. Eat more fruits, eat more vegetables. She's like, if meat is your jam, eat more meat. Maybe don't eat all the pepperoni. Maybe get the chicken breast instead. Yeah, it's. I always tell people when I'm very first starting out with clients, one of my like initial you know suggestions is when you go in the grocery store, shop the outside the outskirts of the grocery store. So you have like your produce section and your meat, the outside section and get, try to get everything you need from that and only go into the aisles essential because most of your aisle foods are highly processed. Yeah, I think the majority of the stuff we get from the aisles is there's like, it's either A for a specific dish that we're making. So like if we make buffalo chicken dip, we get canned chicken because it tastes different. But for the most part, that's also what we do. We always do produce first and then meat. And then neither of us really consume a lot of dairy stuff like cream cheese and butter probably, but we both drink mm -hmm. almond milk almond milk because we think it tastes better in coffee and that's all we use it for. And then we'll go and we'll get like beans or sauce or something like that from the other aisles. But we both generally stay away from like ready-made meals and stuff like that. Although the HEB yeah. down here, I don't know if you're familiar with HEB since you're not in Texas. They're like a Texas grocery store chain. But they have like ready-made meals. It's like how you get like a ready-made salad from the grocery store. It's still like, it's salad. It's good. There's good stuff in there. They have like whole meals like salmon and asparagus. And all you have to do is pop it in the oven. It's already like prepped for you. It's actually really cool. Yeah, I live in a huge food desert. There's not much going on in Hooker, Oklahoma food-wise. So <laughs> I love going. We go, call it the city. We go to Amarillo, Texas. It's like our closest big city. So I always love going there and going to like a real grocery store okay so I, there's probably a heb in amarillo i know like for me and for my body it just feels so i don't know i feel great after i eat an apple <laughs> yeah i always i i always say nutrition is very bio individual so at some point you you have to block out what everyone else is saying about nutrition and eat what feels good for your body 
I mean, you can listen to how healthy kale is all day long, but if you eat kale and feel like crap, you shouldn't be eating it. So you really have to tune into your body and what your body likes and what feels good for your body. And that's a huge part of, you know, getting into cleaning up your diet is just learning to listen to what your body is trying to tell you. (laughs) That brings up a really interesting point when you like bring up like learning to listen to what your body needs and you talk about how a correct or healthy diet for an individual it is a very individual thing. For me as a kid, and I would guess probably for you too, it was you're eating whatever your parents are making. And that makes it really, really hard. Like then as an adult, you have to learn to listen to your body. Like maybe for dinner, you're just like, oh, this doesn't sound good. I would rather have like an apple. I would rather have like strawberries or something like that. And maybe that's not what your parents are making. So you can't have that. But that's like actively teaching you don't listen to your body, you make you eat what I tell you to eat when I tell you to eat it. It's hard as a parent. If I think I probably, you know, learned to really listen to what my body likes, you know, in my early twenties. As a mom and having kids, our number one thing with our kids, you know, when we sit down for a meal is first and foremost, if they're gonna eat anything on their plate, they have to eat their protein. So they have to eat their meat. And that is huge to me because that's where they're getting their nutrients from. Meat your meats and your animal foods are nourishing. And so if my kids sit down and they're like you know, I'm just not feeling it. Then, you know, I'll say you have to eat a couple bites of your protein, a couple bites of your meat. If you don't want to have your broccoli or your salad or whatever, that's okay. And two, I'll try to always, if it's something where I'm only getting a couple bites into my kids, then I'll put something in like butter on whatever they're eating because that's a super nourishing food for kids. And it's basically brain food for a growing body. And so I want them to learn to listen to their bodies. I want them to learn that they have to try everything. But at the same time, if they ate it and it makes them feel bad, they don't have to eat it again but i they do have to get nutrients in and so their meat and their animal fats would be number one when we sit down for a meal and generally with kids you'll find that that's not a problem because their bodies crave animal fats and crave meat the texture of meat is hard for kids but generally if you add some butter or some seasonings you can get past that but yeah i want them to learn to listen to their bodies but they also need to learn that they need to nourish their bodies too and so Let's eat our most nourishing foods first and then, you know, we'll move on from there. Yeah, I always wonder since I'm not a parent and as someone who had to like actively learn to figure out what foods like feel good and taste good for me. I always wonder where parents draw that line, especially like someone like you who's more educated than the average parent would be. It, I mean, I'd like to say it's easy to get your kids to eat all the time, but it's not. And <laughs> and my kids eat very well and we still have, you know, you're going to struggle as a parent feeding your kid no matter what. Things that have definitely helped me as a parent is not talking poorly about food. If we set something on the table and grandma and grandpa or whoever is like, ew, broccoli, that's disgusting. Your kid's not going to eat it. So we always talk positive about the food that's on our plates because they're more apt to eat it if it's a positive thing and they think it's going to taste yummy. I always involve my kids in the kitchen. They get to help me cook whatever we're cooking or help me garden. They help raise the cattle. So they see everything, you know, farm to fork. And if they've helped prepare it and helped cook it, they're way more apt to eat it. And then I always try to at each meal to include something that I know my kids will easily eat. So we're not, you know, struggling for everything on the plate. But the more nourishing foods you feed a child, the more nourishing foods they're going to want. If you're continually feeding a child crackers and Cheetos and cereals and these highly palatable, you don't even have to chew them, you can just swallow them, you know, sugary foods, that's what their body's going to crave. And the more 
highly palatable refined foods they eat, the more they're going to crave and want those foods and the harder it's going to be to get nourishing foods into your child. So I'm a huge proponent for feeding your kid nourishing food from day one and sticking to it until at least they're, you know, seven or eight years old, because by then they're going to know that those nourishing foods make them feel good and the other foods don't. They can decipher a little better. Where like my three-year-old, if I feed him, you know, crackers and cereals all day long, that's all he's going to want to eat. And he's not going to eat the steak and he's not going to eat the broccoli and potatoes because he's just going to want cereal. Where my six-year-old, she knows now she feels better if she eats good Yeah. So you actually brought up two things that I want to talk about. I was going to save them for later in the episode, but since you kind of brought them up, I'll ask about it now. So the first one, I know later we're going to talk a little bit specifically about um, women and even more specifically about like moms, but something that I've noticed in myself and my peers, be they, I don't want to say just women, but just women or if they're also moms, is that this also isn't only women, men totally do it too, but I find that I don't know a single woman who doesn't do it. The mindset that food is punishment and we need to work off the food that we're having or we need to earn the food that we're having. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, because you mentioned like, oh, we want to have a positive mindset around food and broccoli is good, not ew, broccoli. But that is like the beginning of that mindset of ew, healthy food. I want to work for this cake that I'm going to have later. So that mindset, I it's so hard as a woman to not have that mindset because I've been there in college. I... I was a personal fitness trainer and I, I mean, I had that mindset of like, if I'm going to eat, I have to work for it. And it's such a backwards mindset because I've really tried to change towards we have to be nourishing our body. And so when I look at food and when I have a client look at food, I want them to look at it as nourishment and not calorie. And so really as a nutritionist, I try to take the calorie game 100% out of it. So we're never going to look at a food as this is bad because it's high calorie. Instead, we're going to look at it. This is a nourishing food because it has a lot of macro and micronutrients that are going to feed my body and make my body healthy so that I am capable of hiking or working out. And so instead of working out so that we can feed our bodies, we're going to feed our bodies nourishing foods so that if we feel like it, if we want to, we can work out or, you know, do extracurriculars. But it's hard as a woman. You open a magazine, you know, and they're telling you eat low fat or eat no calories or you see it everywhere. I mean, for me and what I try to do with my clients is really just, I don't want to say stay in your own lane, but when it comes to your food and your nourishment, you have to do what's best for you, number one. And women need to eat too. You can't be ashamed of sitting down and eating a whole steak. If that's what your body needs and that's what's nourishing you and making you capable so that you can be a mother and can be a wife and can have a job and do all the things, that's what you have to do. You have to eat like your life depends on it. Your life does depend on it. <laughs> I would agree. It's really hard to like get around that mindset of, oh, well, I have to, I can't eat certain foods because they're bad foods, or I have to work out for this long or burn this many calories so that I can have these other foods. And like, that's so unhealthy. It is. And it's, and I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of, you know, if you're going to eat the cake, eat it and eat it with no regrets. Because if you have a poor mindset around what you're eating, your digestion is going to be worse. Your body's more apt to store that food, you know, places you don't want it stored. You just eat it and you're happy and smiling and having fun with your friends and enjoying it. Your body is much more apt to use that food as energy and 
burn it off and go on about your business. There have been some recent studies came out of people eating a meal, you know, like a Thanksgiving meal where you have lots of carbs, you know, dessert, pie, whatever it is. When they're eating it with family and in a parasympathetic or a relaxed state, it doesn't spike their blood sugar. They don't feel poorly after, you know, they just go on about their day. And when you're in that positive mindset, your body's using that food for good. So then the next day you sit down alone in your house and you eat Thanksgiving leftovers, same exact meal, but you're by yourself, you know, no laughing. And you're kind of thinking like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have ate this meal, you know, two days in a row. That second day when you're by yourself and you're in that poor mindset, it spikes your blood sugar, you feel crappy after eating it, you feel weighted down. And so there's a lot to be said for your mindset, enjoying your meals, laughing, having a good conversation, being in a relaxed state is a huge part of the health of your digestion. Yeah, actually. So now that you mentioned that, I was thinking about this the whole time you were talking about it. And I was like, (laughs) okay, I've also noticed that I feel much better about the foods that I'm eating. If I'm like surrounded by friends and family, and I'm in a good mood, like I'm in a good mood plenty of times by myself, and I feel good about the food that I'm eating then too. But if I'm like having a bad day, I do not feel great about the food that I'm eating because I have a bad mindset. And I just feel bad about it the whole time. Right? Like you can eat health food all day when you're in a bad mood and you still feel bad about it. <laughs> but if you ate not as healthy a food surrounded by friends laughing and having a good time, you're going to feel fine about it. And there's a lot to be said for that. Getting your body into a parasympathetic state, a relaxed state, is the first step to good digestion. If your body's in a sympathetic or a stressed out state, it literally will not digest. Like it will take your food and just store it to the side and be like, I can't deal with this right now. I'm stressed. So if you're relaxed and enjoying yourself, your digestion will run so much smoother and you're able to have a better mindset around the food that you're eating. Second thing, I wanted to ask you about is you were talking about how like if you or your six-year-old knows that like okay steak is a food that I like it makes me happy it makes me feel that like your three-year-old might be like "Mm, I just want to eat all the cereal that makes me feel good because it tastes whatever they think right you said that that's what their body would then crave processed sugar is like has a real addictive quality to it on the same levels as like cocaine so when we continually feed our body sugars or glucose it lights up our brain similar like you said to drugs like cocaine and so our body will continually ask for that it also spikes our insulin really high and when we get a really high insulin spike our blood sugar goes way up you get insulin brings your blood sugar back down and you have this drop like you're tired And so your body, in order to get that spike again, asks for more sugar. You give it more sugar. And then you're just on this up and down roller coaster all day long. And it's the same thing in our children. You know, if we feed them Lucky Charms for breakfast and they have this huge blood sugar spike, you know, an hour later, their body's going to be like, okay, I need more. I need more. It's just exactly like a drug. And so if we can pull that sugar down out of the body, instead of feeding my three-year-old Lucky Charms for breakfast, I feed him eggs and bacon. His blood sugar doesn't spike, and then his body's not asking for that spike, not asking for the drug all day long. And it's the same thing in your body. If you can keep that blood sugar stable, your body's not going to be asking continually for the sugar, but it's a really hard roller coaster to get off of. I mean, it is damn hard to break an addiction to food. It is very similar to drugs. It's not, you know, it's something that's bio-individual. You, some people can cut it out cold turkey, and some people have shake baby steps. Sugar is a hard one because there's a lot of my clients come to me and they're like, I don't, you know, I don't eat that much sugar. I don't eat candy bars. I don't eat cake every day, but they're eating things like white bread and white bread. When we look at it, 
It's been so refined and so processed, there are no nutrients left in it. And so they fortify it with these fake nutrients. As soon as that passes your throat, that white bread is it's sugar. And so eating a slice of white bread and eating a couple of tablespoons of sugar past your throat is the same thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. So these highly processed foods that break down very easily in the body, snack wells, Oreos, white bread, all of that past your throat is sugar. So it's hard as a consumer to take sugar out of your diet and really truly take it out. You really have to do a period of avoiding processed food for a few months to break that addiction and break that cycle. Does the body recognize the difference between like those types of sugars and then like the sugar you'd find in like fresh fruits or like strawberries or apples or anything like that that are high in like natural sugars? Yes, there is a difference. Your sugar, your highly refined sugar comes with zero nutrients attached. And so that's what I call dead food. So any processed foods are dead food. They, your body literally has to pull nutrients out of itself to digest them. And so when you intake sugar, your body has to pull, gosh, I think I'm right on my numbers here, 52 grams of magnesium to digest a gram of sugar. It's either 26 or 52. But so your body is pulling those nutrients literally out of your bones, out of wherever it's stored in your body to digest that sugar. Like when you see kids where their teeth are rotting out of their head, it's not because the sugar is literally sitting on their teeth. It's because their body is pulling the nutrients out of their teeth from the inside out to digest all the sugar because your body cannot digest it without nutrients. So when you eat fruit, fruit comes with some of those nutrients in it, which helps the body to digest it better. So it's not as harmful to the body. Okay. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does make sense. I just wasn't sure because I've never asked, I guess, or bothered to look into it myself. So I guess I really didn't want to know that bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're going to eat sugar, you want to eat, you know, a natural kind or or like a whole fruit, you know, like a peach with the peel. So you get the nutrients of the peach that help digest the fructose from the peach. I gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about good fats and quote unquote bad fats. Because everyone hears fat and they're like, oh, not good. Oh my gosh. Yes. One of my favorite subjects. When it comes to fat, my general rule is animal fats are yes and processed fat are a no-go. And so like in the 1920s, vegetable oils, your canola, cottonseed, soybean, peanut, sunflower, all these oils came onto the market to try to be competition to your butter and your tallow and your ghee, your lard, your animal fats. And it really was just kind of a huge political scheme of buy and eat these fats instead of your animal fats. So they very quickly demonized the animal fat. So people would buy the vegetable oils. As soon as that happened, the rates of heart disease stayed the same because they said, you know, if we eat vegetable oil, your heart disease is going to go down. Rates of heart disease stayed the exact same. Cancer, like, skyrocketed when people started eating vegetable oils. These vegetable oils, these highly refined, highly processed oils are high in free radicals. They're very carcinogenic and they're just very toxic to the body. It's a foreign object to your body. So your body is constantly fighting these oils and it causes so much inflammation where if you're eating an animal fat it's kind of the same thing as sugar those animal fats come with the nutrients needed for your body to properly utilize them 
And so they're nourishing to your body because they're meant to be ate. That is what your body is designed to eat. So you have all the nutrients needed to digest them, to use them, to take them where they need to go in the body. Where your vegetable oil, your body gets a glimpse of vegetable oil and doesn't know what to do with it. It creates free radicals and really essentially breaks down your cells and makes it very hard for the body to function. There's a there's a lot of problems with food being politicized. I don't know if it's a specifically American thing. I don't think so. Like there's a lot right now going on with food in the political sphere with state governments declaring that you shouldn't be eating meat or making laws about it, which in my opinion, if you don't want to eat meat, that's a choice that's your own personal choice. That's if you feel that's what's best for you. I don't know better than you do. You know your body probably better than I would, right? I don't think it's the government's business to make that choice for anyone else. Yeah, I think you should you should have your own choice. You should be able to eat whatever you know makes your body feel good. And and really, if we look back at go back to our biology and the basis of our bodies, our cell walls are literally made of saturated fats. Our brain is made up of these animal fats. And, and so when we take that out of our diet and we push people to take that out of our diet, we're basically fueling the pharmaceutical industry because you're going to have some pretty sick people. Um, if you start taking out the nutrients that build your body, build your cells, you're going to run into problems. A lot of people feel better as soon as they go, you know, meatless and, and initially because they've essentially pulled processed foods out of their diet. You know, they're trying to clean up meat, vegan or vegetarian or and if that works for you and you can get in all those nutrients you need, more power to you. But there are just so many nutrients that the foundation of our body really needs that you have to get from meat or animal fat. And it's very hard to supplementally replace it. There's nutrients that you can only get in meats like your B12, your creatine, your EPA, DHA fats vitamin A, vitamin D, all of that comes from your animal sources and it's very hard to supplementally replicate um, just because your body doesn't absorb supplements as well as it does real food. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about food for women, food for moms, because if you can say it out loud, you can name it. Someone is going to shame you for eating it or for not eating it. And oh my that's gosh. a problem. Yeah. So a disclaimer before we jump into that, because I know I have male listeners, dad listeners, that doesn't mean that these aren't problems that they don't have. I'm not saying that they don't face food shaming issues. I mean, they certainly wouldn't face some of the biological issues related specifically to postpartum women, but they for sure would probably face some of the same shame issues. But all women and all moms definitely face these issues. Yes, it is hard as a mom. As soon as you become a mom, you get judged for everything you do. <laughs> but as far as like women and moms go, I think one you know major point that I would want to start with is if you're a woman and you're planning on having children in the future, you need to start taking care of your nutritional health now. Because the more solid the foundation of your body is, the easier it's going to be to get pregnant, the easier it's going to be to nourish your child. And so really, foods, if I you know, had to make a list of foods that I would say women and you know moms in particular need to be eating to keep their bodies nourished, keep their bodies healthy. I would have egg, liver, your meats on the top of that list, your healthy fats like avocados and nuts, a little bit of mixed greens in there, some vegetables, your fermented food, bone broth if you tolerate it, and butter for sure. These are all foods that are highly nutrient dense and are highly nourishing to 
fertility and the body. Yeah. So that friend that I mentioned earlier, I think it was her on her story said that it takes like 60 to 90 days for our bodies to consistently like recognize a change. So like if you have a really poor diet, it takes about that long for your body to transition to like, okay, this is what my new normal is, which makes sense because that's about how long it takes for like solid habits to form and all of that. She was talking about it in specifically in regard to like fertility and making your body a healthier place because it's easier to typically easier to get pregnant and stay pregnant and have a healthy pregnancy if your body is healthy and I was like that's interesting I would have never thought you have to like prepare your body for that it just was always like oh it happens okay oh yeah you definitely want to prepare your body being a woman in general hormonally your body needs a lot of nourishment and then you throw pregnancy and breastfeeding in there and I mean you can deplete a body very quickly through pregnancy and breastfeeding and so going into it you want to be like at the most nourished you've ever been because your body will I mean it'll take anything it needs to grow baby it will leave you completely depleted so a lot of times you know people like you said 60 to 90 days to notice changes and a lot of that is changes in your digestion you know as a woman something you really need to be paying attention to is how well you're digesting foods And so you want your digestion to be running top to bottom good. So a lot of things that we say are normal are not normal. So just because something is common does not mean that it's normal. So, you know, if you feel skinny size 2 in the morning, you shouldn't be a size 6 by 6 p.m. at night. It's common, not normal. Be sure you're in a parasympathetic state when you eat. Chew your food very well. Eat foods that make you feel good. It might be, like I said, a common food, but if it makes you feel crappy, don't eat it. And then learning to eliminate allergens from your diet. And it might just be a a short-term elimination, but learning what foods your body likes and really then building the foundation of your body and your fertility and your hormones off of that diet that you've created for yourself that is optimal for you and feels good for your digestive system and where you're at in your life can you give a couple other common examples of like something that is common but is not normal oh my gosh yeah (laughs) so something that's common is not normal burping after you eat (laughs) being bloated what is burping like what does that mean it's just when you have bad bacteria in your gut it's going to create that gas that you know makes you bloated or makes you burp if your digestion is running smoothly all the time you know, you're not going to have that constant burping after meals. And if you have good bacteria in your gut, they, you shouldn't create that much gas within your system. Interesting. Okay. Didn't know that. You should be having bowel movements every day. You know, going every two to three days is not normal. Um, you want to be you want to be passing bowels every day. Passive reflux is very common, not normal. Feeling very tired after meals is common, but... You shouldn't be feeling tired. If you're feeling super tired after meals, it generally means you're eating something you are sensitive to. Gosh, eating on the go is very common, but it's really not optimal for your digestion. <laughs> you want to be sitting down, you know, talking with friends or just in that relaxed state when you're enjoying your meal. I got you. Yeah, sorry to put you on the on the spot about that one. I just was wondering. <laughs> something you've mentioned a whole bunch of times or that we've touched on a whole bunch of times is that no like singular diet is right for everyone when you work with clients how do you start gauging what their best diet is going to be so i initially start i get a nutritional assessment from them which is like an over overview of their whole entire body and a food journal and their food journal they write down what they eat and then they write down how they're feeling 
when they ate it and after they ate it. And so when I start working with someone, immediately the first thing I'm going to do is if I think you're dealing with food sensitivities, we're going to pull those sensitivities out. And then going forth from there, then, you know, we're going to discuss your values, your morals. You know, do you feel okay with eating meat? Do you feel okay with eating eggs and raw dairy products and vegetables and, you know, kind of go from where they're at. And then we assess too, you know, are you someone who's eating Lucky Charms for breakfast and, you know, Hot Pockets for lunch? Or are you someone who's, you know, already kind of incorporating some whole foods into your diet? And so I, I really have to start with client, meet them where they're at and make changes from there. But definitely number one is pulling out food sensitivities. If you're eating something you're sensitive to, it can just really wreak havoc and create a lot of inflammation in the body. So we pull those food sensitivities out, decrease or pull out the sugar in the diet, try to pull out the liquid calories, which mostly sugar, you know, your pop and your soda. And once we can kind of get a clean slate and give you a few weeks of, you know, kind of an elimination diet, then we can really build up from there and say, okay, you know, let's increase your red meat intake and see how you feel. Or let's increase your greens intake and see how you feel. You know, if we increase your greens and you're getting bloated every day, then we know we need to decrease that. Your body can't handle greens yet. They're very hard to digest. We'll work more on your digestion and add those in later. So really just teaching people to listen to their body and figure out what is optimal for them in that moment. And it's constantly changing. Sometimes you're going to be able to handle foods that other times you can't. It sounds like it's just a whole big puzzle that sometimes all the pieces fit and sometimes there's pieces to different puzzles and you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, it's, I mean, with every person, it's so different. And really, I mean, the best advice I can give you on starting your nutrition journey is pay attention to what foods make you feel good. Pay attention to what foods don't. Foods that don't make you feel good, take out of your diet immediately. Leave them out for at least a month. Start with a clean slate and rebuild gotcha is there um just out of curiosity is there any foods that you get asked about like almost every single person is like is this food good for me or is this food bad for me oh definitely animal fats i get asked about a lot eggs eggs you need eating whole eggs including the yolk dairy i get asked about a ton dairy if you're eating pasteurized homogenized dairy it is detrimental to most humans just because it's a dead food at that point once you pasteurize or homogenize dairy it has no nutrients it has no vitamins it has no enzymes so it's very very hard for the body to digest if you're eating raw dairy raw milk raw cheese it has all of the enzymes needed to digest it and so the body can generally tolerate raw milk raw cheese just fine where your store pasteurized homogenized dairy you're going to react to it so I know like for my family, uh, my daughter doesn't tolerate dairy at all. My son and my husband do raw dairy and tolerate it very well. That's when I get asked about a lot though, because there's so much controversy over dairy. And I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of dairy. I think there's so many nutrients, great things about it, but I do think that it needs to be consumed raw. And is in, in most states, isn't it illegal to sell? Um, raw milk? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it depends state by state. Most places you can get raw milk. Um, the great thing about, you know, raw dairy and raw milk is if you get pasteurized, homogenized milk from the grocery store, when it rots, it's just going to rot and it's going to be bad for you. If you get raw dairy, it's going to do what's called clabber, which is what baking powder does. And that's why it's clabber girl baking powder. But it's going to clabber and 
it doesn't rot. It doesn't go bad. You can still make butter out of it. You can make kefir. You can use it for all kinds of things. Make cheese out of it. So, I mean, a big thing with raw dairy is you want to know your farmer. You want to know that that cow is getting fed a good diet. And you want to know that after they're milking, that milk is getting chilled very quickly. And if and if your farmer meets those three standards and you can communicate with your farmer and know them, raw dairy is absolutely a good option. It's very safe to consume. I think it's much safer than pasteurized dairy. And it's much easier on your body. I would not, I wouldn't suggest drinking pasteurized milk to anyone. Just because your body doesn't have the processes needed, doesn't have the enzymes needed to digest it. And so it is hard on the body. Yeah, it's sometimes like for me, because I, um, I'll use it in my um, coffee or whatever. Sometimes Mm -hmm. my body does great and I feel great. Sometimes I'm like, Mm, that was a bad, it tasted great, but that was not a great choice for me. Yeah, dairy is a tough one. So many people can't tolerate dairy and it's just simply because we don't have lactase. You have to have lactase to digest the lactose and raw dairy has lactase in it. And so it's much easier to digest, much easier on the body. Interesting. I've never heard that before. Definitely can do dairy, do raw. <laughs> of everything like ever that you've done in your whole entire life, what are you the most proud of? Gosh, it's kind of cliche, but I would have to say just being a mom. And um, I always growing up, I was never going to be a wife. I was never going to be a mom. Like I was just independent, doing my own thing. And I just had these, you know, huge places I was going. And being a mom for me has been like, the biggest challenge of my life, but absolutely the most rewarding. Um, I'm so, I'm so proud to be a mom and to be blessed enough to be able to raise kids and and bring on a next a new generation and it's just really it's very rewarding to be a mom it's very challenging but very rewarding yes i've noticed well only the oldest one is she kind of pops in and hangs out every few minutes and she just like i don't know she seems like she has a happy healthy kid she's doing good she's a very good kid so you already kind of told me what your number one piece of advice would be to potential clients or something like that but if someone's interested in learning more about um, nutrition or pursuing like an education or a career in nutrition, what piece of advice would you give to them? I I would definitely tell them to seek out seek out references, people who are in the nutrition field who seem to be following a nutritional path that you could see yourself following. And stay strong, stick to your morals and stick to your values. If you're someone who is adamant, you know, about eating grass-fed meats and regenerative agriculture and staying in that space, follow a nutritional path and a nutritional school that supports that. I think it's good to to test your boundaries and to learn about new diets and and new ways of living. But I also think you need to stick to your morals and stick to your values. And, you know, 10 people might tell you that eating meat is bad, but if you believe that's good for your body, and you have the studies and the research to back it up, stick to it. I went with the Nutritional Therapy Association for my schooling, and I was 100% pleased with them. They introduced you to all kinds of nutrition, but their main their main focus, like I've said, is it's bio-individual, and you have to do what's best for you at the end of the day. That is super good advice. It's hard to... I think pursue an education where you may not believe what's popular, but what is backed up by science, even when there's 
laws or influential people saying otherwise, it can be really hard to advocate in that space. Yes, it can be. If people want to um, learn more about you or come hang out with you on social media, where can they do that? So you can find me at Nutrient Dense NTP on Instagram. That's mostly where I'm where I'm at, all my nutrition stuff. And you can always uh, message me off of there if you have more nutrition questions. I do take online clients. Um, so if you're interested in working with me or figuring out your own nutrition plan, um, check me out at Nutrient Dense NTP on Instagram and uh, shoot me a message and I will get back to you probably during nap time when my kids are sleeping. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to connect with me on social media. It's at Ranch Collective Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes as soon as they're released. See you next week.